Friends, I think this is actually a very searching psalm. And it requires us to ask of ourselves a very profound and a vitally important question. Who is it that you look to for help, for direction, for security, for salvation? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're here as we continue looking at Psalm 146. And a good reminder of where we fix our gaze because, Jonathan, it can be easy to get distracted and to fix our gaze onto other things. Where do you often find people uh, maybe wanting to look for help, for direction, for security other than Christ? Well, I think it's very easy for us to look to particular leaders whom we respect and have found to be helpful, particular teachers and and preachers and that kind of thing as well. And I'm conscious I speak as a Bible teacher and, and a preacher here. But it's so important for all of us who belong to Christ to have our gaze fixed on Him centrally and fundamentally and have our confidence in Him and not in his servants, because all of his servants are fallible and flawed and prone to failing. And if our confidence is in people rather than in Jesus, we're in danger of great disappointment. Well, we're going to be reminded of where that focus and where that confidence needs to be placed today as we open our Bibles together to Psalm 146 and continue a message called Placing Our Trust in the right place. Here is Jonathan. When someone at the height of their powers, a great leader in office with energy and resources and influences, whether it be a business leader or or a tycoon, a, a, a political power broker, it's almost impossible, isn't it, to imagine them at that point growing old and losing their powers and eventually succumbing to the grave. But that is the obvious reality of what will come to every human leader, every prince among us, every great leader. However powerful they are in their prime, they will soon enough become a footnote of history and nothing more. And while we might turn to them for leadership or intervention or help in their day of great influence, if they are inclined to help us, They only have the ability to do so while they have breath in their lungs, and that breath won't be there for very long. A few years ago, two economics professors, one British and one Norwegian, undertook a study of the impact of a founder's death upon the company that he or she started. And and their findings in this study were pretty remarkable. It was a fairly wide-ranging study. What they found was that the impact was greater than anyone could have anticipated. Most business founders hope to leave a legacy, don't they, of a thriving business to their heirs. But, you know, it turns out that that is a very difficult thing to pull off and pull off well. The impact of the founder's death is profound. In the first four years after that founder's death, sales plunge on average 60%. Staffing levels drop appreciably, and the likelihood of a company failure increases markedly. Leaving a legacy beyond the grave, it's hard. It's hard because our plans die with us. That's just the reality of mortal life. And that's a wake-up call. That's a warning. It's a reminder. Rather than putting our hope in princes who cannot save and who will die... 
The psalmist calls us, beckons us, invites us to the way of blessing and urges us, put your hope instead in the Lord. Verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Now, in calling to mind Jacob, one of the great patriarchs, of Israel, the grandson of Abraham, father of the 12 tribes. In doing so, the psalmist is reminding us that the Lord is the covenant-making, promise-keeping God. He's the God who all those years ago called a man named Abram, tapped him on the shoulder one day, told him to, to leave his father's home and go to a new land that the Lord would give him, who promised to make of him a great nation, promised to bless him and through him bless all the peoples of the earth. And of course, the psalmist mentions that name, drops that name, highlights that promise, calls to mind that family in order to make one very, very simple point. God has a track record, a historical, verifiable track record of keeping his promises and acting in faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I always like the idea of dealing with companies and businesses that have been around for a little while, that have a track record of stability and a reputation for faithfulness and effectiveness. Some years ago when we were living back in England, I needed to find a provider for the purchase of a life insurance plan. I I shopped the market a little and I ended up landing on a company that was founded in the 1830s. They had a great reputation, and I figured they weren't going anywhere anytime soon. I thought if I'm buying, you know, a 40-year life insurance policy, I'd like to think that the company will be around for a little while, and these guys seemed like the very best bet. Then, a couple of years later, I was in the market for a pension provider, so I again actually went to the same company, and I set up a pension plan with them. 200-year-old company, nice and stable, should see me through to my old age. Well, zoom forward a few years, we're now living here in Canada, and I get a letter from the company one day. They've decided to stop offering and facilitating the life insurance I purchased. They are selling on my policy to a new company that I have never heard of in my life. They're washing their hands of me. (laughs) A little disappointing, but you know, life goes on. A little while later, I get another letter from the company. They're now uh, getting out of the pension product that I bought from them. They're they're selling on my pension plan to another company that no one else has ever heard of, and they're washing their hands of me once again. And I thought to myself, so much for stability, so much for steadiness, so much for reliability. In the world of finance, in the world of insurance, This was about the most steady and reliable company in the world, and I feel like their commitment to me fell through my fingers like sand on the beach. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. The covenant God, he has been in the business of making promises and keeping promises for a very long time, and his track record is entirely flawless. This God of the covenant, he is also the God of creation. He, verse 6, made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Manufacturers often don't last as long as their products. 
We all have things at home, small electronics or bigger items like appliances or furniture or even cars. We have those things, don't we, where the warranty isn't worth anything because the manufacturer no longer exists. During the 1980s, the largest real estate developer in the world was the Olympia and York Empire, owned by the Toronto-based Reichman Brothers. Maybe you remember them. They developed some of the largest uh, office tower projects in the world. Again, thinking back to my time in, in London, the Canary Wharf project in London was the biggest development project in the world at the time that the Reichman Brothers took it on building Manhattan-like office towers in London's Docklands in a city where there weren't any skyscrapers at the time. I, I felt rather pleased, actually, when living in London to think that Canadians were behind this rather grand project. But it was a bittersweet feeling as well because, of course, Olympia and York collapsed into bankruptcy, largely as a result of that particular project, drowning in a sea of billions of dollars of debt. Now, the Reichmans, they were princes among men, no doubt, one of the world's very richest families. Their company, the largest developer in the world, they created stunning things, but, you know, they came and they went. The maker of this world has remained committed to his world. His power is such that he has not gone anywhere, and he is not going anywhere. He, verse 6, keeps faith forever. This covenant God of creation, he is a rock of faithfulness. And more than that, because he is like that, he is the God of salvation, true salvation, assured salvation for those who call on him. Just look again at all that is said of him. Verse 7, he executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food for the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Now, all of that, that is the character of God, isn't it? In a nutshell. That's what he's like. That is what he is committed to doing. But where do we see all of this come to pass? What is God's action plan for actually achieving all these things? Justice, freedom, end of hunger, physical healing, help for the helpless, and so on and so forth. It may be that as we read these verses, some of the words are ringing some Bible bells for you. They might seem just a little bit familiar, and if so, that's actually no great surprise. But when Jesus arrived on the scene in Nazareth at the start of his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he opened up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he read out these words, words that we've heard, words penned centuries before by the prophet of God. This is Luke 4 and verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord's plan to do all the things that Psalm 146 tells us about, that plan and that intention, it is focused on Jesus and it is fulfilled in Jesus. 
That's what Jesus is saying there in the synagogue in Nazareth. I have come to be and I have come to do all that God has promised, all that he has committed himself to, all that he has spoken of in ages past. And as we watch Jesus travel through Galilee, we begin to see him do these things, don't we? The blind, they receive sight. The poor and the oppressed, they receive his grace and his kindness, and their lives are transformed by those things. Those oppressed by the forces of evil and the bondage of their own sinful behavior, they begin to find freedom. Wherever Jesus goes, whomever he meets, whatever he says, whatever he does, whatever he lays hands upon, well, we see transformation and liberty and healing and salvation. We see these very hopes of the psalmist being realized. We see glimmers of fulfillment. But those interactions within the earthly ministry of Jesus, they're actually not the main event of fulfillment. All this hope, all this expectation, all these great saving attributes of God that the psalmist speaks of, we actually see all that come to fruition and expression at the cross of Christ, don't we? It is there at the cross where the healing and saving and redeeming work of God is accomplished when the hopes and expectations of Psalm 146 are realized. See, at the cross, Jesus deals with the root cause of human suffering and human bondage and human oppression. At the cross, Jesus dies to pay the price of human sin, of human rebellion against God. The Bible tells us so clearly that all that's wrong with this world and all that's wrong with us, it has come as a result of the fact that we've turned away from the God who made us We've rebelled against him and we have invited his judgment upon us. But at the cross, gloriously, wonderfully, this is the heart of the gospel. At the cross, Jesus died to bear that punishment, to take that judgment. And for all who will receive it, for all who will turn from sin and trust in this saving God, for all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for all who recognize that they are spiritually blind, for all who are bowed down in grief over sin, for all who recognize their brokenness and their fallenness and their utter needs, for such people there is freedom from the guilt of sin. There is freedom from the eternal punishment of sin. There is forgiveness, there is healing, and there is hope. There's a, a promise of a future beyond the grave, a future in paradise with God himself, a future where blindness and sickness will be no more, where injustice will not be found and will not be experienced, where hunger will be less than a memory where the outcast and the marginalized and the vulnerable, all who turn to Jesus, will have a secure and a joyful home under the loving protection of God himself. See, verses 5 and following, they're not just a general reflection on the goodness of God. These are verses that proclaim gospel truth. They are verses that point us to the Savior in whom and through whom all the promises of God are yes and amen.
Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth and a message called Placing Our Trust in the Right Place, part of our series, Songs of the Heart. And if you've missed any of the broadcasts in our series, come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. There you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. And whether you listen to this program online or on the radio, or even through the Encounter the Truth app, it's all made possible through your generosity. So thank you for giving to and supporting this ministry. And today is the final day to give a gift of any amount and receive as our thank you a book that Jonathan has picked out, written by Sinclair Ferguson, called Worthy, Living in Light of the Gospel. You can find out more about this book or give your gift online right now when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at one 833-998-7884. That phone number again is 833-99-TRUTH and the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, let's head back to Psalm 146 in a message called Placing Our Trust in the Right Place. Here is Jonathan. Friends, I think this is actually a very searching psalm. It shines a very bright light on our hearts and it asks us, it requires us to ask of ourselves a very profound and a vitally important question. It forces us to ask of ourselves, each one, who are you trusting today? Where is your hope? And where is your confidence? When it really comes to it, when the rubber hits the road, who is it that you look to for help, for direction, for security, for salvation? It may be that as you consider that question, your answer is that you actually feel there's no one in this world whom you can trust. No one who champions your cause. No one who is truly on your side. And if that's you, I guess there will be a sense of isolation and loneliness and hopelessness in that. Many in our world feel that and experience that all the time. And it may be that that is the very reason that you're here with us this morning, the very reason that you're listening to this message. You're looking for hope. And you're looking for help. And the psalmist says to you, be very careful. Don't seek that help. Don't look for that hope in the princes of this world. Don't look for hope where hope is not to be found. Discover the blessing of having your help in the God of Jacob, the God who came to us in Jesus Christ. And the wonderful truth is that you can do that even today. You can come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And the promise of the gospel is that he will help you and he will meet you in your need. Others may respond to that question by saying, you know, my my help is in a key leader. My, My hope is in a hero in my life, a mentor, a powerful friend who helps me through. And you know, if that's the case for you today, hear the, hear the warning. No son of man is ever able to save us. Even the strongest leader, the most well-connected and powerful person, the wisest guide, that person's help and that person's influence, it ends at the grave. And no son of man can ultimately save. 
Others of us will say, excuse me, well, I'm a Christian. I've put my hope in Jesus. I I follow Jesus Christ. That's most of us here. And and that's good. (laughs) I'm so glad if you have trusted Jesus. But let me just share, if my voice will hold out, (laughs) let me just share my own feeling, what I've been sensing as I've studied this psalm, as I've reflected upon it this week. And I, I wonder if this will resonate with you. You know, I've been deeply challenged on a personal level to consider whether I really trust the Lord to carry me through and to help me in all the ups and the downs of life in practical terms. You see, I I trust that Jesus died for my sins and, and I trust that Jesus will take me home to heaven. But I think I find it very hard to, or I find it very easy rather to imagine that Things within this world, practical things, the challenges of life, the ability to navigate them and get through them, all of that rests upon the help and the guidance of key people on whom I rely. And I think the danger for me, and I suspect the danger for you, is that we will trust God for our needs in eternity but we will turn to the princes of this world for our needs in time, our needs in the here and now. And insofar as we do that, when we do that, we demonstrate that a kind of practical atheism lurks within our hearts. And where we do that, here's the truth, we're bound to be disappointed. We are setting ourselves up for heartache when the person upon whom we rely, when they, when they fail us, when they fall, when they die, we're, we're heartbroken and we're rudderless. As I mentioned this week, the media has been full of the news of the disgrace of a very prominent evangelical leader. And it's just heartbreak for many. It's a warning. It's a reminder for us. And you know, even if the prince upon whom we rely is good and faithful, their day will come to an end. And when it does, they can help us no more. But true security, true joy, true blessing, here's what it comes from. Here is where it's found. It is found in pinning all our hopes on the God, verse 10, who will reign forever who will reign to all generations, who will never fail, who will never fall, who will never leave, who will never die, whose rule and whose reign will never end. Friends, would you join me in trusting him today, in hoping in him alone, and in praising him all the while. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, our message, Placing Our Trust in the Right Place, part of our series, Songs of the Heart, and today really taking a look at Psalm 146. If you want to go back and listen to this broadcast again, you can always do that by coming to the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth does depend on your generosity to keep this program on this station. So thank you for giving to and supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book called Worthy, Living in Light of the Gospel. And Jonathan, I understand you appreciate this book so much, you've actually used this in your home church. 
Yeah, we've just finished working through this book as an elder study for our our leaders within the church, and we found it to be so rich and helpful. It was just good for our our hearts and for our personal discipleship, because the call of this book is to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And if we know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, we we want to do that, and we need to be encouraged and helped and reminded to do that all the time. And this rich but very accessible and pretty brief study is a tremendous encouragement in doing that very thing. We were helped by it, and we were grateful for it ourselves. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book, Worthy, Living in Light of the Gospel, is our way of saying thank you for your financial support. You can give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or over the phone when you call 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884. Or again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. You can also write us at Encounter the Truth, 2176 Prince of Wales Drive, Ottawa, Ontario, 2KE081. Or in the U.S. at Encounter the Truth, 215 North Arlington Heights Road, number 102. Arlington Heights, Illinois, 60004. For Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.